Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Sam Cohen. She is the recipient of a McDowell Fellowship, and her fiction has been published in Fence, Bomb, Diagram, and Gulf Coast, among others. Her new book, her first book, is titled Sarah Land, and it is published by our friends at Grand Central Publishing. Sam, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to have you here. And this book, Sarah Land, is a collection of stories where the protagonist of every story is named Sarah. This book was introduced to me by our former general manager, Sarah. Um, in what ways does your collection play with the fluidity of identity by naming every character the same? I think that I started the collection with a question of what it means to be a cohesive self over time and really thinking about um, how in the form of the short story, especially a character can transform or the character usually does transform. And I liked the idea of characters transforming so much that almost everything about them was obliterated except for some shred of Sarah-ness that would remain. Um, and so I hope that there is some kind of essential Sarah quality throughout the stories in the collection, even as each story offers a completely different version of self. Right on. Thank you so much, Sam. And let's talk about the first story, which is titled Sarah Land. Imagine before I ask this question, listeners, that you are a young woman or a young man attending a university, living in a dorm. Uh, Sam, my question for you is, how are boys like cockroaches? <laughs> um, well... In the story of Sarah Land, um, there are kind of magical boys, right? So the boys in the story are um, have some sort of magical quality where they're able to kind of seep out of walls or appear under doorways. Um, and it's, it's a little unclear in the story, I think, whether it's magic or a kind of metaphor. Um, how are boys like cockroaches? They just, they just keep appearing. Mm -hmm. um, and the title character doesn't necessarily want them there. She's a little indifferent to them, um, but she's just sort of unsure where their origin is or how they keep popping up. Right, thank you so much, Sam. Music, movies, and pop culture in general play a large role in this collection. Heather's is used as a large signpost at the beginning of this first story, Sarah Land. And the character reference is Kid A by Radiohead, specifically the opening track, Everything in Its Right Place. How does music, movies, and other media inform us about these different Sarahs? Yeah, well, I think that that goes back to the same question about what is a self or what is identity. Um, and I think that this collection really sort of celebrates an identity that's always in transition or always in transformation and that has a lot of different influences. And so 
I think for a lot of young people, when they start to realize, I mean, I actually just watched an episode of Euphoria, the Jules special. I don't know if you know that show. Mm -hmm. um, um, where it's a teenage girl who's starting to realize that who she is is just really a compilation of all of these societal influences. And it's really kind of a horrific um, th therapy session for her um, as she's realizing all of that. And I think a lot of young people have that sort of um, horror reaction to realizing that they're a compilation. And I think that I wanted to sort of celebrate um, being able to take all of these different influences and narratives and, or, you know, celebrate that we sort of are a compilation of all of our musical influences, our movie influences, the narratives that have kind of formed us. Um, and that often we do sort of shift and shape those narratives in order to figure out who to be. Great. Thank you. And I should say I am familiar with that show. It has been on in my house. I just have not been able to sit down and watch it yet, but I hear great things. Um, Sam, I'm hoping you can speak about the herd mentality we see here with the university students um, in the story. And I want to specifically refer to the line about going out, which is going out is something we have to do every Thursday, Friday and Saturday night. I'm not sure any of us like it, but we show up for it like we show up for class, like we would show up for a job if we had one, uh, end quote. This Sarah doesn't really want to do this, but she does it anyway. Why does this happen both to Sarah and to university students in general? Wow, I don't know why it happens. I mean, I think that that's sort of the mystery of the story, the title story, Sarah Land, is how it is that we keep sort of being corralled, especially as young people, into these particular ways of acting and being. Um, and I mean, the, the story for me started out as kind of like a fascination with Jewish separatism, realizing that I had only known Jewish people until I was like 20 years old. Um, and, and my family wasn't particularly religious or anything like that. It just was like, I went to public school. I went to a non-religious summer camp, just somehow um, there was this very particular milieu and there was this very particular way that everyone dressed, um, things that everyone had. Um, I am sort of fascinated with how that herd mentality happens in college. And what I can say is I teach, um, or I have taught freshman writing at USC. And I have had a couple of students who are in sororities who write papers really about like the horrific rape culture that's happening in the Greek system. Um, but it doesn't seem as though they have any plans to leave. Um, and almost see the sorority as a compulsory part of college and something that they have to withstand and navigate around. Um, and I don't know exactly why that is. Community influence, parental influence. Yeah, I think it's probably all of that. And as a, as a follow-up, do you think students in 2020 and 2021 are missing out on something by not going through this, I must go out three days a week, write a passage, or by not having the opportunity to do so, or um, by having the opportunity, but with the knowledge that they could be spreading COVID-19? Um, is this something that you think uh, is going to cause the generation going through college now to turn out completely different? Mm, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know if there's a generation going through college that will completely miss that. 
um, depending on how long this happens, it seems like we might be back in the fall. Um, so if college students are there for four years, they're at least having some experience of that. Um, that's a good question because I, I have sort of wondered about college party culture and why we do it. I also don't think that it's universal across colleges. It's something that's particular to like, I went to a big 10 school in the Midwest. Um, I'm now at USC, which is also a big football party school. And so the students function in a pretty similar way. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there are also kids who go to Sarah Lawrence and Oberlin and all of these different places where I don't think that that is the culture. Um, I think it's interesting that we have a culture, a college culture in the United States, which doesn't exist everywhere else. And we're now for the first time having students just live at home, which is what people in most parts of the world do um, while they attend classes. And so I, I think that this period of time might raise questions about why we do things the way that we do things and what this college culture is and how it serves. Yeah, that would definitely be um, a positive that could potentially come out of this. Thank you so much, Sam. I just interviewed Natasha Wimmer, who translated many of Roberto Bolaño's major works into English, and I asked her a form of this question. This short story collection, Sarah Land, oftentimes seems to be concerned with English majors. Um, I was an English major. My undergraduate focus was creative writing, and my graduate focus was literature, so I went through it twice. Uh, did you mean to be so focused on English majors, and what is it about the typical English major that makes them ripe for literary inspection? I don't know. I mean, someone recently pointed out to me that a lot of television characters are writers and that's because there's a writer writing them, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so, and I hadn't noticed that until then that there's like this, that there's so many shows where the protagonist is a writer. Um, so, I mean, I think the same thing might be true of English majors. And I think that in just thinking about a life and thinking about my own life, um, it is really, um, it's really not a good decision in a lot of ways to be an English major. Um, I don't know if you relate to that, um, but it's really, it's really fun and enriching. And then um, graduating as an English major, I think that there were a lot of questions about how that translated to being in the world in any sort of, um, in any sort of way that could, you know, keep me alive and make money and in community. Um, and so I think that some of those questions exist in the first couple of stories or maybe the second and third story. Um, it's, yeah, it's sort of how does, how does being an English major ruin your life in very particular ways? Mm -hmm. Right on, thank you so much, Sam. Listeners, we're gonna take a short break for a word from our sponsor and then I will be right back with Sam Cohen. 
The Bookin Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Sam Cohen, author of Sarah Land, which is published by our friends at Grand Central Publishing. Sam, there is a story in Sarah Land titled Exorcism or Eating My Twin that is largely concerned with fan fiction, specifically Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction. Uh, For our listeners who are unaware, can you tell us about fan fiction how popular fan fiction for something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is and how it inspired you to write this story I actually have to admit that I'm not super into fan fiction um and I don't think I've read any fan fiction about Buffy the Vampire Slayer though I know that Buffy does have very active fan communities um I actually am not someone who came up as part of a lot of fan communities but I do have friends who had that experience. I I weirdly have a lot of friends who were um, part of the Tori Amos message board scene, for instance. Um, And I just didn't know how to use the internet in that way at that time, even though I was around. Um, I am a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I liked the idea of imagining, I mean, there's a way I think that this story, um, well, this story was one of the first two stories that I wrote for the collection. And there's a way that it had the seed of an idea in it that generated the rest, um, which is, yeah, this question of how we sort of become ourselves through fandom, um, how we take on different personas to be who we are. And I think I became interested in seeing that happen through fan fiction when it was actually a friend's daughter who was very into fan fiction and sort of introduced me to the genre. Um, And I think James Franco was writing some Kirk Spock slash fic at the time. And I just became interested in the question of what is this and why are teen girls um, so interested in taking on narratives at their own as their own and reshaping them to be the narratives that they need them to be. Um, And so, I mean, I poked around a little with my friend's teenage daughter and um, looked, I think we, um, we got the James Franco book at an art gallery. Um, And I don't know, it provoked a lot of questions for me and it actually wasn't something that I felt like I had to um, dig really deep into what the actual fan communities looked like in order to write. Right. Thanks. And now I am going to be looking for a story on the Tori Amos message board scene. So um, thanks for planning that idea in my head. Uh, the title of this story, as I mentioned, 
mentions a twin. Um, and like I referenced earlier with English majors, and obviously like with Sarah's, the theme of twins keeps returning to us in this collection. Um, can you talk about this theme, this recurring mention of twins? Was it intentional? Is this something that I'm just placing upon it as a reader? Um, what does it mean to this collection, Sarah Land? Yeah, um, so yeah, in a way, I think, like I said, Exorcism or Eating My Twin is one of the first stories. And I think that the themes of the collection are all kind of um, seeded in there in a way. And I am really interested in how girls especially tend to find or create themselves within kinds of twinships with other girls. Um, and really like in the sorority that's in the last story or the second to last story of the collection, you kind of see how this happens en masse. And then, you know, th that Sarah doesn't end up fitting into that, but um, that there's a lot of mirroring and mimicking um, within all kinds of different girl cultures um, that really determine who and how someone can be. And I'm particularly interested in how sort of sets of two girls um, who in this collection are often twins in some way um, can really reshape what is possible and what girl identity means. Um, like something that really, I'm really inspired by Daisy's the movie, um, Czech movie from the middle of the 20th century, um, where these two girls decide that since, you know, since capitalism and modernization has ruined culture, they're going to basically just keep tricking men into buying them dinner. Um, and not work and be bad in whatever ways that means. And they have their own kind of private language of um, a kind of baby talk almost. And I, yeah, and I'm very just, in, yeah, interested in how when two girls are together, they can create an identity that's not possible for just one. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, spinning a little bit off of that answer, uh, speaking of capitalism and modernization, I want to talk about your story, Naked Furniture. Uh, early in the story, there is the following quote about this story, Sarah, and some time she spent abroad. Quote, she had seen that life could be an endless parade of tiny coffees and cigarettes that people didn't have to walk around with shitty plastered cheer that only advertised the shame they felt at their own dissatisfaction at living in a life-destroying system, end quote. Sam, I'm hoping that you can elaborate on this quote some, as I think it is the type of thought that has been amplified in the past year um, in our culture, at least. What is the difference between other cultures and other countries in the culture in her own country that Sarah is pointing out here? Hmm. Well, I think it's interesting because we kind of talked about, um, you know, the difference between college culture in the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, I mean, I think that this is a Sarah who um, is quite provincial. It seems like she's um, been at this Midwest school had this Midwest upbringing and then maybe one semester in Europe, right? Um, and so it's perhaps the first time that she's seeing that um, life can be different, right? And 
I don't know. I think when I think about time that I've spent in Europe, which hasn't been that much, um, I think about um, this kind of culture of pleasure in the city, which doesn't exist as much here. Um, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so it's hard to just walk around and be and exist with other people. Right before the pandemic, I was in Madrid. Um, and people are just walking around in plazas, hanging out, not necessarily purchasing anything or consuming anything or, you know, getting very cheap drinks um, and being able to move around the city um, in a kind of culture of leisure. And we have maybe New York where people can move around in that way, but there's this real compulsion to, um, doing something work related or something productive or something networking, something that's leading to some kind of end goal. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe it's also because I don't live there, but my experience in European cities has been um, that people feel fine about um, spending goalless time together and not spending money. Yeah, thanks. And I think that hits on some things that I've talked about with a couple of other authors about doing anything, art or whatever, just for the sake of doing it as opposed to because you have to win at it or something. Yeah, um, yeah it's a very interesting concept. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, Sarah in this story, Naked Furniture, sees herself as a character in a story from the very beginning and later wonders if everyone's shared secret is that they are mimicking fictional characters. I'm hoping you can unpack this thought a little. Does Sarah think, or do you think, Sam, that everyone is functioning in society because they have learned behaviors from fictional characters on television or in a book? or on a film or in a video game? Like what is a typical behavior of a person who has lived their lives ignorant of these mediums and as such uninfluenced by them? I mean, yeah, of course, of course we're all, I mean, they're, they're, that person doesn't exist, right? Like there is not the person who hasn't been influenced um, by popular culture. It's not something that I necessarily find devastating or horrible um, because I mean we're humans have culture for a reason we've created culture because we um, we crave these representations and there is something really powerful that comes I think from desire and from the body when we resonate um, with a character and um, you know, either sort of like deeply and emotionally in fiction or in terms of just fashion and movement on screen. Um, I think those connections can be really deep and really powerful. I, th I think it's really great that we're starting to have conversations in our culture about um, diversifying representation, right? And who gets who gets shown, who does not get shown. And then of course also representation has its limits. And as soon as there is representation, um, there is a kind of corralling of a group of people into a, a kind of way of being or a kind of identity. And so it is a double-edged sword. Um, 
But yeah, I think I think like these conversations we're having about what we're representing and what we're showing um, as meaningful and beautiful in the culture are good conversations to be having for those reasons. Right. Thank you, Sam. And finally, and similarly along many of the lines that we've been talking about, this character, Sarah in Naked Furniture, describes how upset her mother was when she got her septum pierced or when she got her head shaved and has the thought that if her mother could see her in her makeup and jumper as she is preparing to go to a job where she helps people fulfill their fetishes, fantasies, or whatever else they would like for her to do, um, that her mother would be happy with how she, Sarah, looked for the first time in years. Uh, What does this highlight about the values of someone like Sarah's mother? here yeah i mean it's a statement about compulsory femininity right um and it is meant to highlight i guess sort of the strangeness that um there is an overlap between the kind of femininity that kind of good parents want their daughters to embody and the um, the kind of femininity that is marketable in um, a Los Angeles dungeon, right? Um, and I also, you know, I I embody a kind of um, high femininity myself, and so it's not a sort of critique of of the valuing of femininity, but that um, it is a it is, I guess, a critique of the ways that women's bodies are so um, controlled and in terms of their even aesthetics, really often by mothers and by the family, that sort of any step outside of this very particular version of femininity um, can be really upsetting to a lot of people, it seems. And so, yeah, it's, it is a statement about the ways that girls and young women don't have a lot of agency over their own bodies. Right on. Thank you so much, Sam. And thank you for writing this wonderful collection. Several of us here at Quail Ridge Books have read it already, and we cannot wait to introduce it to our reading public. Listeners, I've been speaking with Sam Cohen, author of Sarah Land, which is published by our friends at Grand Central Publishing. Sam, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, I would like to thank Sam Cohen for joining me. Copies of Sarah Land can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.